Okay, so they showed a statistic on there. I think it was the Barner Research Study that said you have a personal relationship with Christ. It said 67% of America said they did. Right? What, what does that mean? That's pretty loose. Um, there was another survey done also by Barner Research Group, the same organization, that asked the question, are you a Christian to Americans? And 87% of Americans said, I'm a Christian. Right? It's a pretty strong number. But everyone says that America is a post-Christian society now. So, so that means most of, Christ, uh, most of America do not go to church. They claim to be Christian. So 87% claim to be Christian. But then they asked another question. They said, um, of those 87%, how many uh, do you believe that Jesus is the path to heaven? That he holds the answers to eternity. And 37% of the 87% believe that Jesus was uh, God, was the way uh, to heaven. And so uh, if you do the math, that means that 32%, just over 32% of America believe that Jesus is the way to heaven. So that, so essentially that means that 68% of, of America are confused on their theology because Christianity believes Christ is the way to heaven. The root word of Christian is Christ, Right. Um, and, and so that is just what it is. And that's our starting point. The starting point is 87% of America believe that they're a Christian, but less than 40% of them believe in Jesus. All right. So our theology is off. And I think that there's been decades and decades of, of, um, unbiblical teaching about the person of Christ and about the gospel and about, um, his actual life and the way it looks, even in our Western culture, how it's applied, that makes us even more and more confused. And so I think this is a very relevant, relevant conversation that we need to have. Um, so if anything, we leave here going, okay, yeah, I believe that's who Christ is, and that's who I've received. That's who I put my faith in and my trust in, and here's the reasons why. All right, and so I sat down and I thought, is Jesus God? What are the questions? And I really mean this. I've got a pen because what I want to do is I want you to determine where we go with today's. That's scary for me, to be honest with you. But um, you to, to determine kind of the direction we go with this conversation. So in order to have this discussion, where would we need to begin? Maybe some presuppositions about this topic itself what would we need? What would be the foundation of this conversation? Um, what would have to be the presuppositions or the, or the realities? What are some of those things? What was that? Okay, so, so next week, the topic is, is the Bible true? Honestly, I wish we would have had that one first because I do believe that. I think that the only way for us to study who Jesus is, is to study who Jesus said he was and what the prophets and what the scriptures say he was, right? And so biblical authority, we would have to, it doesn't make any sense for us to go, okay, well, no matter what you believe, let's have this conversation. We have to have some kind of foundation, all right? Some kind of anchor. And so for the sake of this conversation, since we are in a, a church, let's, let's assume the Bible is true. Next week, we'll talk about why we can assume that. Um, but well, let's do that a little bit. Why, how can we assume the Bible is true? How do we know that there's biblical authority? What are some of the reasons that you've known from, from your life? The stories you line up. Now, a lot of critics would say they don't, right? But do you know that no story in the, in the Bible has ever been proven false? It's either been proven true or possible or not yet proven, but never false. 
Do you understand how ridiculously amazing that is? No no book in the history of time has ever been more criticized than the Bible. And yet it has never been proven false. Um, The historicity, the reliability, the corroboration. Just the Old Testament was written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors. And it has one common theme that, that never counters and always points towards the same thing, the coming Messiah and the redemption of all creation. And so biblical authority, we'll talk about this next week. I would love to just dig into that right now. But talk about that next week. Let's just start with that plumb line, okay? What else? What else might be a really, I only have really one, one other thing. What, what other thing comes to your mind that you think, if we need to have this discussion, this needs to be established first. What's something else? That what's that? Okay, and so what is the preposition there, or the presupposition? Mm-hmm. Right, so that John 3.16 is true, that God really loves us. That as we study in this, for those of you who are part of the story of God, we went from cover to cover to look at this redemption story. That it's not just a bunch of individual stories, but this is God creating, man falling, Jesus being born, the redemption of man, and the kingdom being established. The here and not yet. Eternity, heaven, kingdom now, where we live out. We're on this side of grace. We live in this age of grace. After Christ was born and, and died and was resurrected, his, ushered in his kingdom, the church is now supposed to live that out here until he returns. So we're in the middle of this story that is being written. And so the, the, the presupposition is, is that we're in that story, that God loves us and he actually has a plan so in that plan, there's certain things he said would happen. So we have to look through at the lens that this isn't just an independent story again. Jesus is a part of this bigger story. Or this person who claims to be God is part of this bigger story. What else? Okay. So let's write that down as a question maybe we need to talk about. The foundation, what other foundation would we have to have in order to even discuss the Trinity? Anything else come to mind? That God even exists himself, right? Well, we talked about that in week one, but yes, let's presume that as well. If we're going to ask the question, is Jesus God, then we have to assume from the perspective of that God exists. The one that comes to my mind is simply that if God exists, that his wisdom is probably bigger than ours, right? Uh, my, my mind keeps wanting to take God and these huge principles and that are multidimensional and making them one or two dimensions, and our minds, the Bible literally says that the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, right? And so in our greatest, smartest day, God's foolishness is smarter than that. And so we can't come at any kind of seeking truth from the perspective of that I might know better than God or that I deserve this because of whoever I am. But instead it should, if it makes sense at all, and if God is God, it should be, God, you're God, so you have the answers. I have to come with that posture, okay? And that... Your ability to see over eternity is probably gives you a better perspective than the 41 years I've been on this planet, right? Um, somehow I ended up watching the Green Lantern last night and um, huh, sermon prep. And uh, when he was when he was back on this planet or whatever, I just watched part of it. And he was talking to these immortals about, "Will you be with me to save Earth?" And and the immortals said back to him, he says. He said, 
at, he said something like this, as immortals, we have to consider billions of years in perspective to whatever question we answer, whatever we do, not this limited 50 years of life that you do. And I just hit, hit me. I was like, wow, that's so, that makes so much sense when the Green Lantern guys say it, right? And then in my real life, I just want to go, yeah, but God explain it to me in my, with my little peanut brain, right? So God is God. Can we even fathom creating life, earth, light? We can, we can create life, but because God gives us that. But, uh, and so in my mind, that, that wisdom, God's wisdom is bigger than ours. So let's put it in perspective. Let's not be proud. Let's not be arrogant. Let's just be, okay, God, if, if you're God, then, then what's your truth in this? And, and the second thing I think really is biblical authority. And I think, TJ, you brought up a good one, was the third one, is that to re- remember this in the context of this bigger story. Okay, um, and so um, what other what other from there then? Where should we start the presuppositions? What are the questions that we would need to answer? For example, what about the Trinity? How does that fit in? What are some of the questions or or things that have come up in your brain um, that we would need to answer in order to answer this question? Yeah, just say them. What does that assume? What did your question just assume, though? Okay, and there was also another assumption or presumption you had was that they are in complete opposition, right? And so maybe we need to dig into that. Are they? Um, That's a good question. What else? Yes. What do you mean? Eternal ramifications? Do I either, do I neglect to consider it? Or are you asking, will I do that? Okay. Like denial or ignorance is bliss? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we would never do that because we never do that in our regular lives, right? We would never be in denial to pretend something isn't happening so that it causes more damage to us. I think that's a very relevant question or point. Okay, denial. What else? It's okay to ask a question. Yeah, engage the conversation. I think one thing is, two, two things about asking questions. One, um, God is not afraid of our questions. If it's truth, it will always prove to be true. So you could dig in. If there's a question you have, just dig into it. Dig, 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 dig. Um, and, the second, and the next thing is, is if you ever find yourself a part of a church or a part of a religion that does not allow you to question, run. Because there's no reason for that. Unless they're afraid of truth. All right? So that's good, Jack. What else about the story of Christ or who he was or claimed to be? Yeah. That he claimed to be the only way. That's, a, that's good. Right. So what about, what about the other religions and, and, and uh, the other prophets that um, people say, well, there's, there's one mountain and many paths. Was Jesus just one of those paths, right? Is that what you're asking? 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we don't want to be exclusive. We don't want to say, we don't want to be narrow-minded. We don't want to be whatever. If those of you who didn't get an opportunity, last week we talked about, is Christianity too narrow? A couple of different sermons online, if you get to hear that, to go back and to, and to discuss that as well. It's online? They're not online? Not one? Okay. Did we record them? Did we get any of them? Last week? Okay. They should be by now. They're not? Okay. Well, look it up on Google. There'll be something out there that'll talk about that. We'll look into that. Um, what else? What other, what other questions? He claimed not? Okay. So, so uh, when was he? Or who? Why not? Who was, who was Jesus? What did he claim to be? When did he exist? When did he, you know, what, that's, I think all those are good perspectives that we kind of need to dig into in, in order to understand this. All right, well, we're out of time. Everybody have a good lunch. And, um, what else? I just want to make sure that we, the, the real questions that we have here that we get. So what else? Anything pressing? Don't be chicken. If you're being chicken, say it because we need to make sure we talk about it. Yeah. 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 I think that's another conversation that is not quite is Jesus God, but very relevant. And um, I think last week's sermons have, have a lot to do that as well. I just really think, if you really think about it, um, Christianity and the, the path of Christ is really the most inclusive religion there is. I mean, it's completely un. Uh, biased, I guess you say. I mean, any, absolutely any, it's open to absolutely anyone, regardless of what you have done or capable of doing. It's completely contingent upon a grace that is not deserved. And so it's the most inclusive. Is it narrow? Yeah. Um, but truth is typically, you know, fairly narrow. And so, well, let, so let's talk about, let's talk about some of these things. Let, let's, let's, here was one, um, just thinking about, let's start with this. So did Jesus, what would you say to someone that said Jesus didn't, did he, did he really even exist physically on this earth? Was he a physical, actual person? You ever think about that? I mean, we know that, but if we think about that, you, any of you have a, a moment or a story or a thought of when that kind of became reality for you? That it was no longer just like a Superman commercial or, or movie or whatever, but it was like, oh, wow, this really is true. You ever thought about it in that way? The reason I ask you is I remember when I was in ninth grade, I was taking world history. And I was reading a history book. And it talked, it had a whole section on this guy from Nazareth named Jesus. And for some reason, that struck me as like my worlds were colliding all of a sudden. I was like, wait a minute. It is not debated that this guy actually walked the earth and lived these lives and these stories. These things that are written actually happened. Um... Um, I don't know, maybe that's just profound to me. Um, but I think it's really important that um, it's, it's really not debated. In case that's a question in your mind, it's really not debated among historians that Jesus existed. All right? The question is not, did he exist? The question is, who was he? For sure. He is, he is um, mentioned over and over and over in Jewish resources, Greco-Roman uh, sources, 
uh, all kinds of writings by Josephus and different historical there. It's, it's, it's in there. Um, and so, um, right, right, right. I think that's been a cultural shift. How we, I think, does anybody know about how, what's that? Yeah. Right. And so it's a different era. And so we're able to do that. But there's no doubt that there has been a, a shift in culture because of the existence of this of this man's life and how we interpret those things. So first, I think it's really important that we are we are at that uh, at that at that place. Um, Craig Bloomberg wrote um, historians who have investigated this issue in detail are virtually unanimous today in rejecting the view that Jesus didn't never existed regardless of a theological or ideological perspective. So the fact that he existed is not just a Christian view. That's his basis as it, as it gets. But, you know, there are some people who argue that, that Jesus didn't exist, that just even the person was made up. Okay? Um, let me read a scripture, and then we'll, we'll go from there. John chapter 1, verse 1. The book of John is a great way, uh, has, has a lot of just a, a amazing uh, passages specifically um, uh, on, on Christ himself and who he was. So let me read this. Just think and listen. Starting in verse 1, we'll read 1 through 5 and then 14 um, through 18. In the beginning was the Word. Capital W, Word. And that word, Word, literally means an embodiment in this, in this text. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, there are translations that have, for example, the, the uh, Mormon Bible takes out uh, the phrase, was God. But if you, and I, 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 I dug into this even this morning, the different terms, both of these are said, the word was with God and the word was God uh, are two different words from theos and the, theon, okay? Used in this context, I'll spare you all the details of it. Um, but it, what it is saying together, as it's translated, that there is, one, that it, the word was the one and the one and only true God. That's what it directly translates to. Okay? He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not overcome it. Verse 14. The word became flesh. Which makes sense of the embodiment. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so as John is writing this, there's no doubt, there's, there's left no room that when he's speaking of the word, he's speaking specifically of Jesus. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we all have received grace and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ. No one who is, has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. So John was a disciple. He was called the beloved one. And so he walked with Christ, was directly under his teaching. And this is his report of Jesus's teaching. So who is Jesus? Who did he claim to be? Well, let's come back to that. Who is Jesus? Um, Matthew 16, 
Jesus sitting with his disciples, and he said, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So they're saying, most of culture then is saying that he's what? Either a prophet or possibly just a really good teacher, right? Okay, but then he turns to Peter, says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Um, Questions that come to mind. One mountain, many paths. What would you say to one mountain, many paths? That Jesus is just Muhammad, or Jesus is maybe even Joseph Smith, or Jesus is whomever your prophet of your religion is. What is the difference between Jesus and all the other paths of religion that we see? Jesus is the only one who claimed to be God. Is that a difference? It has to be. Why? Because if it's true, what is the difference? Why is that significant? If it's true, what's the significance? He has the authority and it's, it's, he is the way. Because it, right, it says, this is John 14, I'm the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So if it's true, we better listen. If it's not true, what is the ramifications? It's all false. So it's not like he could just be a good teacher. Because if it's not true, then he was a liar or a lunatic, right? He's, you know, they said he's either God or a fraud. I mean, honestly, he claimed to be God. There is no in-between. All right? So that's very important that there is a distinction there. I'm the way and the truth of the life. And he's specifically dealing with... Uh, Thomas, remember, you have the phrase doubting Thomas. He didn't believe until he felt the nails in the hole, in, in the holes in his, in his hands. He was in response to him. And listen to what he says. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Why? Because they saw Jesus, right? Philip said, Lord, show us the Father that, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, do not, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe in the evidence of the works or, uh, themselves. The evidence of the work comes from a phrase that means a completed work. So he's saying, look at my life. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have fulfilled. Look what I said would happen and what happened. Okay, because this is after his resurrection. In the, let's see, evidence of the works themselves, okay? Here's another thought about, about Jesus. So the message of the Pharisees in the Jewish culture were, almost always around religion supporting and taking care of social issues. They were very socially oriented and, and social justice was a major priority in their culture. Okay. And so with that, I read this recently. I said, in the end, if Jesus was only a good teacher and an advocate for social justice, why would the Romans crucify him? His teachings on social justice would hardly have been at odds with the Pharisees. There must've been something more. 
uh, to, to, he wa- to who he was. So what are the things he was? What was he? That was pro- improper language. Um, what was he? He was, he claimed to be God. Jesus, the person Jesus incarnate was who? What are the different things he would be described as? Rabbi, teacher, what were the, what were the, what were the things only God could be? The way and the truth of life. First Timothy 2, 5 says, for there's one God and one mediator between man and God, the man, Jesus Christ. So he's mediator. He's claims to be Messiah. He claims to be one of the ways he claims to be God is all through his teachings in the book of John. He connects himself with something that God said he was. He said, I am. Remember that? Tell him I am sent you. Just talking to Moses. I am. Jesus comes back in his teaching. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of, of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, truth, and life. I am the true vine. All these just in the book of John. So let's think about that then. Let's think about the Trinity. Uh, I went online this week too, and under our doctrine, there are sermons on our beliefs, seven, seven different doctrines, what we believe and why. One of them is on the Trinity. I really would encourage you to go back and listen. Matthew Hansen taught on it. A lot of great information, just really profound teaching. So let's think about what are your questions, what are your questions about the Trinity and Jesus? Is that, is it so hard? Is that a really hard concept for us to get? It is, isn't it? It's the hardest one for you to get. I think it's really hard. There's some things that are really, um, and I think Matthew does an incredible job of bringing it back, teaching it through the lens of community um, and God being the embodiment of community. But there is not, it's a fallacy to say that, G- that Jesus, the Son was one-third of God and the Spirit was one-third of God and the Father's one-third of God. Scripture teaches us that Jesus was fully God and the spirit is fully God and the father is fully God. And so it's, it's very difficult to uh, explain it in, in those terms. So if we were to try and be logical, is it really a huge, huge stretch? Are there any things about us as human beings that might give us a hint of how the Trinity might exist? Are there any, any um, examples in our own life, in our own relationships I think that is a great way to begin to say, okay, wait a minute. This doesn't really capture the doctrine of the Trinity. But I am a father, and I am a son, and I am a husband. I'm still one person. And I am husband that fully represents who I am. But I'm something different to Jen than I am to my kids, than I am to my mom and dad. And so there is a glimpse, is there not? What else about the creation of mankind? When, when scripture says, let us create, so is plural, let us create mankind in our image, both what? You remember? Male and female. So in order to be created in God's image, we are actually two that then become one, right? 
And so there is this nature of that as well. You know what one of the things for me, and I don't know why I don't know why this was a big thing for me, but it started to really make sense when I think about the nature of God and the Trinity. Something that really began to click for me was thinking about the cross and how the cross only makes sense as a true act of love if Jesus was God. Because if he wasn't, it's almost like some kind of weird cosmic child abuse. How much love or how much sense does that make if he was not giving of himself, fully of himself? It's an interesting thing. And so the Trinity, while it's a hard thing to comprehend because we have um, finite minds and God is infinite, okay? It's one of those things you got to kind of let go of in, in one point or another, but it's spiritually dis- because it's spiritually discerned. But it's something that if we really begin to even seek with some kind of logic, it honestly, you kind of go, okay, I can see glimpses of that because we are created in God's image. And so there are pieces of that. It's not totally off the map, all right? Maybe closing the deal on it is, um, but it's not completely 100% uh, there. Um, Did you ever wonder about that question? Did he really raise from the dead? Anybody ever, that's just a rumor, right? I mean, how can that be proven? What are the evidences of that he truly raised from the dead? Do you know? Huh? Yeah, people saw him. And how many, do you, do you know how many people saw him in scripture? More than 500 people saw him. Gave a face-to-face account that they saw Christ alive with the wounds, the whole deal, the teaching, the whole, the whole thing going on. Now, those 500 people, um, there were manuscripts written from the New Testament, those of the Gospels, the original Gospels, written in, that, in the first couple centuries of that happening, that five of them still exist today. And so they were written within that. If you ever want to disprove someone, it, you could do it in their own lifetime or with that. When it's written and held over from story, from generation to generation, that is historically, from a secular standpoint, the greatest evidence of authority of a historical document. Okay, and so again, more evidence of Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. You know, one of the most profound things for me that I just think is like, it just makes so much sense. You got a guy like Peter, who before Jesus was even crucified, denied him three times. The Bible, even if you dig into the text, one time he was asked and he literally cussed. He's like, I don't know, dang it, you know. Um, denied him three times after Jesus told him he would, and he, and he said, no, I wouldn't. He was such, I don't, I don't know the word to describe him, but he was so weak in what was going on there that he denied him even verbally just to be affiliated with him. Do you, do you even know this guy? Are you even a friend of him? No way, man, no way. But then after he, they killed him, he was willing to lay down his life to say he was alive. All the disciples did. All of the people who, this early generation... They saw him and they were willing to lay down their life for him. And beforehand, they were still arguing about stupid, petty things. And they were still denying him all the time. And they were still arrogant. And, all, and then after he died, it only makes sense that they actually saw him. If they didn't see him, what would they gain from them coming back on? Makes zero sense logically for that to happen. Does that make sense? And the reality was, is there was historically documented an empty tomb. And no one can explain what happened to the body. No one can explain. Oh, there it was. We found it. We've been looking for 
you know, 10 years, but we found it. There it is. There is no, with a heavily guarded, sealed tomb. Okay? Zero evidence whatsoever. Let, let's just make this a little personal, though. Um, I think it's that point, and Jesus said that with Peter, after he said, who do people say that I am? And then he turned to him and he says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And when he told him, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, he was saying, listen, the culture understands that you're, you're bigger than just a dude. You're not a regular rabbi. You're obvi- they even see you're obviously a prophet. You have God's hand on you. You're doing amazing things. You're something bigger, okay? But I know you're the Messiah. You're the one the prophets promised us that would save us and redeem your creation. I know you're that one. Jesus turned back to him and said, blessed are you, Peter, for this was not revealed to you by man, not revealed to you by flesh and blood, said, but it was revealed to you by Father in heaven. He, he was blessed and he realized that because God gave him that insight. Because God blessed him with that perspective. And you can make all the logic out of this. And there's a lot. There's a lot of logic. There's a lot that makes sense and a lot that has been proven. And a lot have stood time after time after time. And yet the Bible continues to stand. We'll talk about that next week. But the Bible claims Jesus is God. Jesus claims Jesus was God. And then ultimately, it just comes back to, he said in scripture, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Ultimately, we cannot be convinced until we seek truth with our body, mind, our soul. And we just press into that and something just supernatural happens. Something just supernaturally happens when we desire to know truth in that kind of way. Um, I was reading uh, about this and someone had written, it says, what's interesting about seeking and you will find, it says, scripture tells us that it's the love of Christ that compels us. It's not our love for him, but his love for us, the love of Christ that compels us, that, that he lived this life, that his message was to set us free from the captivity of religion, that we would be released. And that the amazing part is he doesn't express his message through power or success or arrogance or all this stuff, but through suffering and through losing and through giving his life for us. 